financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Good morning. Well, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. But I would say that there's a lot of people I talk to who don't seem to be doing so fine when it comes to their money. And I don't mean that they don't have enough money. Mm -hmm. I mean, they struggle with the emotional impact that managing money has on their relationship or even on their their own relationship with money. Mm -hmm. Just the way things happen, the way we think about money and what it means to us. And some people have bigger issues, you know, like a divorce or maybe they're getting married and merging money, or maybe they've got a, a learning disorder or some ADHD, some some bigger block in the road, and we'll talk about those things, of course. But in general, I think there's a, I think there's a major divide in the way that we look at money. For couples, a lot of times a couple will say, well, one person is really good with money and the other one isn't. Right. So one person is managing all the finances, and, and that's usually not the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. It might work for a while, uh, but then when there's a problem, the other person is out of the loop and, you know, the blame gets uh, laid on the person that's managing the finances and that's not really fair. So I think that that's the case for some people, but most often what I see is people either just cannot tolerate thinking about their money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, a, there's a myriad of excuses. I don't have time for money. I'm too busy making money. Or sometimes if there's problems with money, it's like seems insurmountable. So you don't even want to deal with it. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And that's where most of our fear of dealing with money comes from. Mm -hmm. It's bad experience, right? If anybody has had enough money all their life to do whatever they wanted, uh, they have some issues about managing that money maybe, but they don't fear it in the same way that people have had who have struggled. You know, myself personally, I think, I mean, it's in the book. I think it's public knowledge that when I was very young, I had to file a bankruptcy and it crushed me emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, monetarily, it was a, a savior, but emotionally, you know, to this day, one of my worst feelings in my gut, besides losing somebody I love, is that thought of what if I can't manage my money somehow? What if I don't have enough money? What if some catastrophe happens? Uh, did I forget to pay a bill? You know, mm-hmm. and- like that just really gets me, you know, at my core. And and that's true for a lot of people. And then, and I hear that in, in conversation when somebody is what I call micromanaging their money, they've got a million different ways. They will tell me how they manage their money. And then usually at the end, we'll we'll somehow sheepishly admit of their own, Mm -hmm. you know, accord. Well, it's sort of a haphazard way of doing it, or it's my sort of willy-nilly way of doing it, but it works for me. It's interesting, too, that we're talking about this, because I was listening to a podcast with Dak Shepard, the actor, just Uh yesterday, and he was talking about, like, he grew up in Michigan, they never had any money, so even Mm. though he has money now and doesn't have to worry about it, because that's the way he grew up, he always thinks he's one step away from losing everything or financial insecurity. So I think a lot of times, as you probably see every single day, how you were raised with money affects what you're doing now. You know, there's there's no doubt about it. And and sometimes I share personal information just because I want people to understand that, you know, I'm a person just like everybody else. And although I may be successful now, I grew up in a household that didn't have much money. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's understating, you know, understating it. My brother, who's a doctor of psychology now, you know, the two of us went on and got PhDs and, and two of our family members did not go that route, went different routes. 
And my parents were proud of all of us, and I think openly so. Mm -hmm. But my brother, all these years later, and he's 16 years my elder, will say to me, someday somebody's going to figure out that I'm not supposed to have this lifestyle, and they're Mm -hmm. going to come and tell me I have to go fold cardboard boxes in a factory. Mm -hmm. That goes so deep in us. You know, he's so sure that we grew up with, you know, by the time I was born, I, I have to say my parents are very good at not letting us know that we didn't have much money. Mm-hmm. But when he was there, they, you know, when he was a kid, they weren't that good at it yet. And so he felt that sense of, I wouldn't call it poverty, but he felt that sense of lack mm-hmm. and that sense of embarrassment when somebody in the family lost a job or couldn't pay a bill or something like that. And, and so, you know, for both of us, sometimes we have that conversation about how do we get this weird stuff about money? And so the other side of that coin that I hear is for people who just will say either I'm not good with money, mm-hmm. which is some some reason, you know, my parents didn't teach me this or, you know, I, I, I've done it badly in the past. I've managed my money poorly, which very often I have to say is not really. I know people think it's their fault. They've managed their money poorly. And yes, sometimes they have, but more often than not, it's that they haven't been given a chance to manage it well. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is not necessarily education, although that's certainly, uh, you know, a factor, but sometimes people think they're managing their money poorly when really they just don't have enough coming in. <laughs> and so they end up in credit card debt or something because they put groceries on their credit cards or something like that. I mean, very often I look at these things and I think, you know what? It's not really your fault. Now, sometimes it's your fault, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes you just make wacky decisions that could have been done better. Right. But most of the time when I meet people who I would call conscientious um, in other areas of their life, right, they hold down a good job, they raise good kids, they are kind to other people, whatever, you know, but they don't, they're not good with money, they say. And that's what I find is that they didn't understand it. And the more you don't understand it and the more negative reinforcement you get because, you know, you got a late fee, the bank called you, somebody complained, and sometimes they get to be big negative reinforcement bits. Whatever that is, that continuing to slap you in the face and saying, don't keep doing this. You're not good at it. <laughs> Give it to somebody else to manage, right? Yeah. And that's always dangerous. So oftentimes I see couples, uh, and I would say more often than not, where that is the divide. Mm-hmm. Somebody, they're better with money than the other one, and that's how that, that's how it works. And what's dangerous is not just that the person who is, quote, better than the other person with money, and they should be managing all the finances, as as the saying goes, oh, he or she is better at this, they should be doing it. You know what? (laughs) No. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Well, it's A, it's not very good for a relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, No matter whether you want to accept it or not, the money within a relationship has a, a power factor. Right. Right. If one person is managing all the finances and the other person is getting, let's say, an allowance, you know, they're going to have to go all the time to the money monster in their relationship and say, I need more money. And then there's going to be a problem, right? Or if there's one person making all the money and the other person is maybe working at home, there's a power dynamic there, too. Oh, my gosh. It's, It's so complicated. And yet we try to simplify it because it's so complicated. How do you usually right. find for your couples that come in, is it normally one person handling the money? Is it 50-50 or what's the percentage of that? Do you know? Yeah, I do. Um, when they first come in, I would say probably 75 to 80% have one person managing most of the finances. Mm-hmm. Now, it's always a gray area. Like, 
oh, he pays all of this stuff, you know, out of his paycheck, and then I pay all of this stuff out of my paycheck. Right. But that usually sounds a lot like he pays all the really important bills that can't we can't afford to be late, like a mortgage, a car payment, all that stuff. And I take care of all the other stuff, which, by the way, that second person usually sees as not as important. Mm-hmm. But it turns out to be things like groceries and gas for the and car. And the electric bill, yeah. It's all important. It really does astonish me that we don't have some sort of very simple education very early on in school mm-hmm. that says you, you don't divide up your finances by putting names in a hat, like a lottery. You know, you pay the electric <laughs> bill, I'll pay the groceries. We're good. We're done. Right. Because that's how it happens. That's how it happens, right? Somebody says, gee, I can't really afford this. Uh, my insurance has gone up. And the other spouse says or partner says, oh, well, geez, honey, I didn't realize you were struggling with that. I'll tell you what, I'll take care of that. And you pick up whatever. But very seldom do people sit down, go over all the math and say, okay, you make twice as much money as I make. How are we going to divide this equitably? I was going to so, say it's, it shouldn't always be a 50-50 split, especially if someone makes twice as much as the other one. And that's probably a negotiation as well. You know, that's one of the worst power dynamics I see is when people early on in the relationship, usually before they marry or, or live together, and they start talking about finance and they say, oh, if they want to be fair, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, everything split right down the middle. We'll never have any money problems because we're going to split everything right down the middle. And it's very rare that somebody says or wants to say at that stage of a relationship, but I don't make as much as you make. Right. And so what ends up happening is one person has enough money to go out to dinner when they want and take vacations and they have some some loose cash. And the other person is barely hanging on or going into debt and they keep it a secret. Yeah, and (laughs) it's very hard to not feel resentful, I'm sure. Well, sooner or later, you know, the rubber's going to hit the road. And that's what happens is they do keep it a secret. It creeps up slowly. You know, I'll just, I'll just put it on this credit card or I'll just do that. Oh, geez, my credit card's gotten out of hand. Oh, well, I'll get another credit card. And then one day comes the big sit down. Honey, I got to come clean and tell you that I've been buying tools or I've been buying, you know, clothes or whatever it happens to be. And I got myself into this credit card debt and I want to pay it all. I want it to be my job, right? Everybody's always responsible. I very rarely hear anybody say, so I have this problem. You pay for it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do it. But they don't know how they're going to do it. And -hmm. just saying that you're going to do it does not fix the problem. What we have to do is look at how that person got into that position. And it's probably the stuff we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Some point, some decision was made that wasn't quite. Uh, mathematically sound. Now, it could be an obsessive compulsive shopping disorder or something bigger that requires some some professional help. But most often, the most common thing I see is that sort of stuff. People but, wanting to be each other. I love the uh, term that we're going to call it. Not mathematically sound. <laughs> I like that so much better. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, we'll talk a lot more about how to get around this stuff and why it, how it can be not so scary. But I, I think most people just just feel that way. Like, you know, I'm just not good with money. My parents didn't teach me. And, you know, I always feel like I don't have enough money or I feel like I'm never going to get out of debt. And that's the stuff, that's the emotional stuff that gets us into those conversations, the honey, we have to talk conversations, Mm -hmm. which right from the start, you know, isn't going to be easy. Oh yeah, for sure. And what's worse, it's about money. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. The thing that 
happens to be solving. And I really do, you know, it really is my standpoint that with some very simple, now not always easy, but simple, building blocks in place. I mean, really simple. Like in a couple of months, we have people like on track. Okay, I got this now. You know, they're good. It's simple building blocks. I don't know why we're robbing people of these earlier unless I want to get on the big victim bandwagon and say corporate America and greed, which I could do. But I, but I just think it's sad that we pay very little attention to this. We pay a lot of attention to what color our bridesmaid gowns are going to be and who the band will be at the wedding and where we're going to live and where our kids will go to school and all of that. Mm-hmm. But don't pay much attention to the underlying factor, which makes that all possible, which is some good money management. All right. Well, we'll talk about some of those building blocks coming up in the second half. First, I want to get your phone number. Absolutely. It's 413-773-3333. Or visit HugYourMoney.com. We've got part two of financial fitness with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up next on WHMP. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You could not find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off, it should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com, enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, getthetea.com, code TEA123, order today. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. And we are, of course, talking money and couples. Yeah. (laughs) Money and couples. Well, money and anybody. It doesn't Mm. have to be a couple. I mean, before you're a couple, you're both individuals, right? Right, So whether you're people or coupled up, it doesn't matter. You're still having to deal with money. For, you know, 99% of our world, we have to deal with money. So let's talk about some things that you can do that are positive, that will help you, you know, kind of get this train on its tracks and and not cause you this constant reminder of, uh, I have to deal with that. Oh, it's, it's the money time. Oh, I don't want to go to the mailbox. Mm-hmm. I have to pay the bills and I don't want to talk to my spouse about it. Or how are we ever going to take a vacation? It doesn't seem possible. Right. Right. Um, the other day I had a couple who make good money. I mean, they make very good money, mm-hmm. but they said, well, you know, we knew this was coming, but now we've got our daughter in school and it's $85,000 a year. <laughs> now they make about 300 grand a year, mm-hmm. but 85,000 is still a big chunk of that. Yeah, it is. And when you're making that much money, your tax bracket is higher, et cetera, et cetera. But there, there's no way they're going to say to her, well, why don't you go to a community college and keep your costs low? Because they're living a lifestyle of a $300,000 a year income, mm-hmm. and this kid has been decided to go to this college for gosh knows how long. Now, oh, gee, it's eighty-five grand a year, and I'm looking at him saying, you didn't plan for this? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, of course not. They were busy doing other things, busy right. working their careers and building their businesses. You know, we're talking not just about couples and money or singles and money. We're talking about your relationship with money. No matter what you think about money, you have a relationship with it. Mm-hmm. It might be good. It might <laughs> it not might, be. <laughs> it might not be. And for most people that I see, it's somewhere in between. They don't absolutely hate it, but they know they're they're not in a great place somehow. Even if they're being successful, like the couple I was just talking to about, they run two very successful practices, but they want to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. They want it is some of that stuff in the way. And, and they were a great example because you would think that people who earn that amount of money 
you know, would have it down. Like, oh, yeah, I manage my business, he manages his business, and everything's good. Right. But I will tell you, it's exactly what I said. One person just cannot almost bear to look at the money, and they just ignore it. And the other person is, you know, building spreadsheets, and they've got all these reasons. None of them really work, or they wouldn't be talking to me, right? Yeah. None of them are working great, um, but they're trying really hard to micromanage that money, and yet both people are experiencing the same problem. They both don't have enough saved for retirement. Mm-hmm. They both don't know how that's going to happen, and they're both overwhelmed by looking at it. Even the one who's got all the spreadsheets is just going, I don't know. I, I make all these spreadsheets, and in the end, I, I don't know. Am I going to have enough money? How am I going to do that? What's going to happen to Social Security? Will I have a pension? Whatever. This positive and negative reinforcement that I'm talking about, uh, your experience with money, your relationship with money, you know, it's sort of a cumulative process, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you you get one late fee, for, let's use a late fee because it's fairly innocuous, although I think it's a waste of money, but let's say you get one late fee on a credit card mm-hmm. or something and you say, oh, darn, I forgot to pay that. Oh, that's not good. What's the first thing you say? I forgot to pay that, mm-hmm. right? Why wouldn't you say that? It is your fault. You forgot to pay it somehow, right? right? Yeah. It's late. So you get a slap on the hand. Now you get two or three of those. Now it starts to be like, oh, I can't get out. I'm doing something wrong here. I can't get back on track. What's the matter with me? Mm-hmm. In the case of an insurance company, homeowner's insurance is awful now. If you make a late payment to your homeowner's insurance, they will not put you back on a payment plan these days. Mm-hmm. Now you have to pay annually. Now, if that doesn't send a big message to you about you can't be trusted to manage your money, you know, I don't know what does. But come out right out and say it. You know, if you apply for a loan at a bank and you're declined, you get a form letter. I get calls like this all the time. It says I have all these things wrong. No, no. Read it again. It says you might have one of those things wrong. (laughs) You might have too much, too high of a debt to income ratio. You might have delinquent credit. You might have any of these things. It also might be that your credit score was too low or there was something else that could be improved. But you automatically so, think it's the worst and it's everything on there. It's true. So let's talk a little bit about these building blocks that could be put in place. And then I want to talk to people who are either merging their finances or separating their finances or people who have some sort of learning disorder or or, or a challenge like ADHD. Because those three things are really Wow, they're really heated, and they're really tough for people to get by. And so I want to spend a little time talking specifically to those people. Okay. But in in terms of building blocks, the very first thing I want you to do is to break it into small bits. I know it's overwhelming. It's like if you went to the doctors and they told you you had cancer, my gosh, your mind is reeling. You're, You're not skilled in that area. You don't know what to do. And what are they going to do? They're going to break it into small bits. You're going to go have a test here. Then they're going to find out. You're going to see another doctor, and then they're going to find out what's going on there. And, you know, eventually you'll try to get through this process with some treatment. Mm-hmm. Well, finance is a lot easier than that, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> easier if you're going step by step versus the whole big hurdle. Absolutely. So, you know, when I have meetings with people, I talk to them about this three-module software that we have, which is debt management, budget management, and retirement planning. Mm-hmm. That's an hour meeting that I have with people for free, but it's overwhelming to some extent. And I have to keep reminding them during the meeting, look, you're not going to take all of this in. This is a demo. I'm just trying to show you what we can do here. Mm-hmm. But then I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to start with debt if you have it. And we're going to make a plan for that. And while we're getting that on, on, you know, you're getting on your feet about that, you'll start tracking your expenses and we'll make a budget together. 
right? You don't have to make the budget. Just track the expenses. I'll help. We'll make a budget together. Now you've got two pieces of the pie. When you've got that, you've got a great foundation for managing the retirement dollars. So now you can look at it and say, do we have a surplus? Do we have a deficit every month? What are we going to do about it? But you don't jump in saying, boy, I don't have enough for retirement. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm just going to up my 401k and everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. I don't know why as a society we don't look at these other things. But I mean, I built an entire company about this. Why are we ignoring debt and budget when we're planning for retirement? Mm -hmm. Because it's easier. You can get a lot more money out of people for retirement if you don't give up the money they have to pay to debt or budget. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So do yourself a favor, break it into tiny little bits and just take it a step at a time, whatever that might be. The second thing is maybe you do better with a little accountability or some support. So put that in place for yourself. If you're a person who knows, yeah, you know, I've gone on a diet 10 times. I never stay on it. I I enroll in gym memberships and I never go. Mm -hmm. You know, I fall off the wagon after a bit. You're probably like most of us. 99% of us do a little bit better when we think we're accountable to somebody. So even though, you know, we're not the the uh, police, the financial police, right, people do feel not only that they're accountable to us, but that they want to do it right. They want to hear that positive reinforcement from me of saying, wow, you did that? That's great. Let's do the next step. And and that's and it makes it easier for people to just give them a little, I call it homework. Here's your homework for today. <laughs> and when you get back to me in a week or two, what's your timeline? Yeah, okay, we'll follow up with you. Then we'll go to the next stage. And we just hold their hand getting through it. And all the time, they're learning. They're learning about money. And they're learning that they can talk to their partner about it without being in pain. And they're learning that they can use these skills for a lifetime and that it isn't so difficult. My gosh, I I remember when I first went to work for John Hancock when I was very young. I, I had to take the test. I didn't know the difference between comprehensive and major medical, never mind any of the other stuff they were asking me. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like a vast universe I couldn't understand. But now on the other side of that, you know, we can break it down in terms that are easy to understand in little tiny bits. And I think a lot of it probably is a reminder, too, because people are so busy right now. You were talking before about like missing like a late payment or missing a payment. It's like people are have a hundred things in their mind to do. So to be able to have somebody give you that reminder of, uh, so you don't forget those kinds of things is nice. There's there's no doubt about it. You know, in these days, we have to be able to adapt to changes. And, you know, some people will even just say to me, I'm stuck managing the money in my household. Something changed in our family and now I'm stuck with this. My, I lost my job and they're still working. Somebody had to pick up the financial thing, so I'm stuck with it. Mm-hmm. But I don't care about money. I don't want to be doing this. You know, you have to be able to have something that's flexible and that can shift and some tools like I'm talking about that can put anybody back on their feet and, and give you a, a path to go down. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about people while we're on that topic, people who struggle with a learning disorder or ADHD or they have some just plain mental block against money. And what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. So that's a special situation. Um in that the first thing you need to do is you need to find somebody who can understand how to help you with that. That's not necessarily a therapist, although a therapist is very useful in helping you learn about yourself and how you can uh, help with this. But if you can find a financial coach who has worked with people in these situations and, you know, we can say, well, you know what, I need you to tell me how you learn. What works for you? 
and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And people will tell me right away, oh, I'm very visual, or I do best when I write things down, Mm -hmm. or I do best with a lot of accountability. Can you send me even an automated email every week? Just I need to know I'm getting something to stay on track. Uh, Or I know where my strong points are, but my weak points are here. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you make a customized plan for someone like that. Well, we make customized plans for everybody, but for someone like that, there's some sort of very special nature there where they need to be not only heard, they need to be able to tell me what might work for them. Sometimes we try different things. Maybe they don't know what works for them, Mm -hmm. you know, but we have experience at that. And so try to get past that. I just don't want someone who's struggling like that to say, I can't do it because I have this mental block, ADHD, uh, or whatever it is, a learning disorder. You can do money. You can. Yeah, it's not one size fits all. It sounds like you're saying like there's different ways for different people, but one way doesn't necessarily mean it's right or wrong. Well, that's right. It just has to be what works for you, you know? So, okay, so there's that. Now, let's talk about when people are getting married and getting divorced. Now, getting married is the easier one to tackle here a little bit uh, because we'll run out of time if I don't get onto this. <laughs> so getting married, uh, you know, sometimes people want to merge their finances. Sometimes they don't. I would recommend that you set up a consultation with a coach and say, we're about to merge our finances or we're about to merge our lives. Mm-hmm. Help us get through this thing early so it doesn't become the problem in our marriage. Top three problems, uh, three causes of divorce, infidelity, finance, and sloppiness, mm-hmm. right? So you can get out in front of the finance thing and say, how should we do it? And we can have a discussion like we were talking about. Maybe you do it as a percentage of income. Maybe you do it, this person's responsible for this and that person's responsible for that. Maybe you keep them entirely separate, but then you have to remember, are you going to separate your groceries and your insurance bills, right? Sometimes people just separate the debt and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So you want to look at that with a professional. Uh, give yourself a wedding gift if you have to. I had, I had one couple come in in the morning and get married in the afternoon. <laughs> Couldn't believe they did it. A young couple, too. Couldn't believe they did it, but they did it, you know? Oh, so funny. Okay. Now, divorce or separation, I, I don't mean to end this on a down note because actually it's a positive approach I'm taking here. Okay. If you're separating and you're moving toward divorce, you need to remember a couple of things. Besides contacting lawyers and mediators and all of that, most couples start off pretty amicable. We want to be nice to each other. We're going to try to do this evenly. Mm -hmm. The major thing you have to remember is right now, you are probably funding one household on two incomes. You are about to have to fund two households on two incomes, Mm -hmm. plus possibly an imposed uh, court-imposed child care bill of some sort or alimony bill. This is going to hurt. So you may start off saying, yeah, it's going to be okay. We're going to be able to do this. But you should get a professional coach involved early on because I've seen these court papers. I've filled them out with people, right? These court documents that say, oh, give us your budget. Mm-hmm. And it, they're ridiculous. They're, they're big block budget items. They don't say how much do you spend at the movies and how much do you, you know, it's all estimates. And people put these numbers down as if they're factual, and then the courts make decisions on who gets how much money to try to make Yeah, based on that. It's crazy. So, you know, using our Hug Your Budget system, for instance, you can track all your expenses very explicitly, and then you can fill out those forms properly so that you aren't left really without enough money, and it happens so often, and that's what breeds this discontentment about the money. Now, 
people obviously are discontented or they wouldn't be getting divorced. Mm -hmm. But the money itself can really get ugly. And if you've talked to people who get divorced, they'll say, oh, I got taken to the cleaners. Both sides will say, I got taken to the cleaners usually. And what's a happy divorce? when neither person is completely happy. Right. That's how the lawyers look at it. So how can they get a hold of you? Well, they can reach us at 413-773-3333, of course. And you can always go to HugYourMoney.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high-quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the money doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well. All under the Hug Your Money umbrella. I have an old friend in Cincinnati. He's a revered financial planner. He teaches college classes and runs a successful practice. And he investigated your program. And he said, this is a winner. He said, people should be doing this. I think it was easier for you because you're you're such a good saver and you really think about things that you're buying. For me, it was a total transformation. <laughs> I'm Wendy. And I'm David. And we just completed the program. And we're completely out of debt. It was so exciting. Remember, I called you at work. I said, we're done. Yeah, we're done. We're like, we should go out and celebrate and have dinner. There must be something you do when you, <laughs> you know you're done. <laughs> debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Hello. Well, hello, Jess. How are you today? I am great. We're talking about a topic that I think is going to be really, really interesting to a lot of people. Cash Advance app. Hmm. You know, I feel ads on TV for them, and I've been wondering for a long time, you know, I'm going to dig further into that and find out what's going on. Um, you know, you'll see them for Dave or Empower. Those are the ones I see a lot lately, are, you know, Dave or Empower. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just go over the top eight cash advance apps as listed by NerdWallet, and I thank them for doing this research. But this is a prevalent issue because, you know, I, I used to do shows about payday loans, and they still exist. With but really high interest, right? Yeah, well, cash advance apps have really high interest, too. They're just not quite as bad as payday loans, but wait till you hear some of these, right? So the thing is, though, as we evolve or devolve, I don't know what you want to call it, as a society, there's always another generation that comes along that is maybe a little smarter in some areas, maybe a little less uh, knowledgeable in others, and companies just jump on this stuff, and they exploit these people. And in this case, um, I want to say it's young adults, you know, 25 to 34, even in some cases younger than that. And, you know, sure, some older people use these apps, but most of the reason that they are apps and not a bank that you go to or a store that you go to is because that's what we have in our hands. We have our phone in our hands. Mm-hmm. I would also and say, and this is just a thought, I don't know if this is factual or not, that it targets lower income people too, because if you don't have food that day, you know, you're tempted to do a payday loan. Well, that's absolutely true. And unfortunately, that often goes hand in hand, mm-hmm. that you're not making the higher salaries at the younger ages yet very often, that you're busy trying to 
uh, build a life which requires large expenses, buying homes, cars, things like that. You're, you're busy trying to start out on this race, on this trajectory, mm-hmm. and it's expensive. It sure and is. I hate to say it, you're not very experienced at it yet. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're sort of flailing around trying to, to figure out how it goes. And to go back in history a little bit, and I know these places still exist, but I remember when rent-a-centers popped up. Oh, I rented stuff from them before. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. You're renting your furniture at these ridiculously high prices. Yeah, you don't but, realize it because you figure like 12 bucks a week, I can afford that. I think I got a futon that at the end of it, I ended up spending like a thousand bucks on. Exactly, exactly. But you know what? I've been griping about this since we started talking about why houses cost as much as they cost. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is we want instant gratification and we will make monthly payments to get it. Mm-hmm. And that means that most young adults, as well as many people, right, but especially in this younger demographic, most young adults are, you know, don't have a lot in savings. And so they're trying to build their lifestyle. They're trying to keep up and get get those life markers at the pace of their peers. Mm-hmm. And we always have this delusion that everybody else is doing really well because they got a great job and they're buying everything in cash. Well, now when you have Instagram for everybody to put their curated pictures on there, so you think they're doing better. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the fact of the matter is this entire nation is floating on a boat of debt. <laughs> yeah, and it is. This is really not much different. So let's talk about cash advance apps and how people use them for emergency expenses or overdraft protection. And we'll mm-hmm. go through the eight apps and I'll tell you some little uh, things that stand out on, on these eight apps. And just, just as a precursor here, we're talking about Bridget, Earnin, Empower, Dave, Money Lion, Solo Funds, Clover, and Chime. Okay. Those are all the ones you hear about. What's fascinating to me is the way they develop the app to lure people in. Now, before I sound like I'm all negative on cash advance apps, there is a place for these things, just like home equity lines or anything else that I talk about. You just want to use them in the right place, and you must know what you're really doing. I was just going to ask you if there's ever a good time to use this or if it's always a negative thing. Actually, there can be a good time to use them, believe it or not. Okay. And it's too it has to do with overdrafting your checking account. See, I thought your answer was going to be definitely not, so this is good. Well, I know I'm a naysayer. <laughs> I mean, I, te- I tend to, to talk about things that I think are, you know, unjust and, and just not and just um, taking advantage of people, and that's the stuff I like to shine a spotlight on so that we can defend ourselves against mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But in fact, these apps, if you have to use it, now there's, there's always a double-edged sword here. One side of it is it might be better than paying your overdraft fee at the bank. So you might pay a fee of around ten dollars uh, without the tip and without the without keeping the money out there too long. You might pay a fee of about ten dollars with one of these apps, but the overdraft fees on your checking account might be thirty five. Mm-hmm. So in one hand, that looks like it might be a good thing. On the other side, using these apps can actually cause you to overdraft mm. because they're going to pull that money out in seven days or 25 days or whatever that period of time elapses when you have to pay them back. And if you don't have enough money in your checking account, they will overdraft your account, which will cost you not only the fee you paid to the cash advance app, but your $35 overdraft fee. Little side yeah. rant. If, if Overdraft fees, just overdraft fees, I'll say that as the main statement. But is anybody doing anything about overdraft fees? Like if, you, if you've got somebody that's trying to take a payment out, you don't have enough money, so you, they get denied, then why do you have to pay a fee on that? They were denied. <laughs> you know, that begs a question that's very interesting. 
I've been interested in that since I was very young okay. and you know, experienced that personally, right? Like, wait, I didn't, my balance in my account, you know, before I was ever a financial person, right? My balance in my account was low and something hit the bank and the bank didn't pay it. Right. So why did I get charged? Yes. And back then, a small amount. Now, I understood if the bank covered it, mm-hmm. I should pay a fee, right? So then I got to the point of, okay, I'm going to get overdraft protection on my account. Mm-hmm. That should help. So you get a little side loan attached to your checking account, and if you overdraft, it goes in and takes the money out. Mm-hmm. That used to be a free thing. Now they charge you anyway <laughs> to take your own money out of the account and put it back in your checking account. So, you know, why do they do it? Oh, who knows? A slap on the hand, the chance to make more money. You know, your guess is as good as mine. Mm. But I, I do want to say about these cash advance apps, there is one exception. And believe me, when I'm saying this, I'm not trying to paint these things in a good picture. I'm going to tell you the, the ins and outs of them. But the app Empower, mm-hmm. so a lot of these companies say they will try not to overdraft your account when they take their money out. But nobody makes a guarantee. Yeah. Except they'll Empower. try. Yeah, they'll try. Except Empower, which does refund, you have to request it. But they will refund the overdraft fee if they cause it. Okay. So all of these apps have a sort of cushion, a nice thing that makes you want to use them. So, you know, we can go through this stuff, of course. So, for instance, Bridget, all right, B-R-I-G-I-T. Mm-hmm. Bridget is uh, one of the best apps, according to NerdWallet. And I have to say NerdWallet agrees with me on this and says, we don't recommend using these for long-term solution. It's, mm-hmm. it's an emergency expense situation only. My gripe is that it forms a habit. If you're spending your paycheck before you have it, you are going to have too much month at the end of the money mm-hmm. and you are going to need to take out another one of these loans. And this is what happens is you get people who took it just once and they ended up ahead of the or behind the eight ball all the time. You until get it in a cycle. They had to keep doing it right. So in this case, Bridget says they have budgeting software and they offer financial advice. No. That's their their free plan. Uh, You can get the budgeting software and financial advice. But if you want a cash advance, you have to use the paid plan, which includes that feature of, you know, all those features in the free plan, plus you get a cash advance. Now, let's just talk about this for a minute. If you borrowed $100 from Bridget, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do this with every app just to give you an idea of how they balance out. $100 $100 from Bridget, and you paid it back in seven days, which is what they want it as. They have a $9.99 monthly fee. Monthly you fee? That, like monthly a one, fee. So it's not a one-time fee? No, no, monthly fee. Okay. They're all monthly fees unless you opt out. And some of them don't have a monthly fee. So oh. I'll give you the, the skinny on this. Okay. With Bridget, that $100 for seven days with their $9.99 monthly fee would cost you. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. It's less than a payday loan most of the time. APR. What? (laughs) They're all like this, Jeff. The thing is, here's the rub. These cash advance apps are technically not considered payday loans. Okay. Not that payday loans are in my my happy camp, believe me. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them are up to 1,200% APR. But the argument here is uh, that they argue that APR is not a fair way to look at a payday loan. or to look at a cash advance app because you're not going to keep it for a year. I'm arguing baloney. (laughs) Is there no company, is there nothing that monitors or regulates how much APR it can be? As a matter of fact, that's a very interesting question because cash advance apps are technically not payday loans and therefore do not fall under the same regulation. 
But even payday loans, if you look at those companies, most of them are run, maybe all of them for all I know, are run by some sovereign nation. They have some sovereign entity in charge of them, which escapes the guidelines of how much interest you can charge somebody, Mm, which is why, yeah, oh, these things are brutal. So, and you know, all the ads, you see the ads, right? Somebody Mm -hmm. trying to buy diapers, it's somebody at the grocery store and they don't have enough money to cash out. They're all portrayed as this instant solution for things that you would feel sorry for somebody about. Poor people can't buy diapers. All those poor people who can't get groceries, they need money instantly. Mm -hmm. Fact of the matter is a lot of times people are using these for much more uh, frivolous uses, including, and I'm not calling that frivolous, avoiding the overdraft fees. So sometimes people use them well, sometimes they don't. I would say most of the time, you know, you're looking at one of these apps because you need it for a specific purpose and you are, it's glossed over by a few things. Now, we always talk about the psychology of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that, that, I mean, I'll tell you some better ways to get money. By the end of the show, I will tell you, here's some better ways to do this, right? Okay. That are much less harmful to you. But one of the things we used to do is we used to go to our boss. We used to go to our employer and say, I need an advance on my paycheck. But yeah, I can't imagine doing it now because it's usually corporations. Yeah. Well, it's really, really hard. Now, actually, some corporations actually are offering that as a benefit, believe it or not. Oh. I think Amazon, Walmart, uh, McDonald's, some of these places actually offer it as a benefit. Uh, and they call it earned wage access. Hmm. And they actually give you as a benefit that you can get to some of your pay early. There's usually a small fee and it might take you a day, but you can do it. That's really interesting because so, I would assume it would just be like a like a if you work for a really small business and you're the owner, maybe you could do it. But that's interesting. They're offering that. Yeah, I thought it was too. I mean, I, I'm not sure it's great, but but it's better than their people taking out cash advance uh, apps or payday loans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why this appeals to us all? I and mean, there's so many reasons these appeal to us. For instance, the anonymity of it. You don't have to tell anybody you are short on cash. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get rejected. They don't do a credit check. They don't you do a credit da- check for any of the cash apps? No. Oh, interesting. You can, so, so there's a rub, too. So that means if you don't repay it, it doesn't harm your credit. You know what else it means? What? You don't build any good credit by using them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a, a double-edged sword here. So, you know, yes, it's anonymous. Uh, it always seems like it's a small convenience fee in the way that they frame it, like they'll tell you, uh, their fees are a dollar ninety nine to eight ninety nine. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. But when we calculate that, plus the fact that they almost all ask you to tip. Um, Wait, they ask lot- you to tip on a loan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an optional tip, but they'll ask you to tip. So you know, it's the convenience. You're avoiding that rejection. You know, we all have a tendency to do that. Avoid embarrassment. You don't have to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And then when you couple that with Oh, and we're going to give you some budget tools, or we're going to give you a savings plan, or we're going to give you some financial advice. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> While I'm paying you 500%, you're going to tell me you're <laughs> helping me budget and giving me financial advice? What? <laughs> Did I read that correctly? But oh, you, won't, you won't read that because they don't quote these in APRs. They quote them in fee, 99 cents to three ninety nine. Yeah, it's much more appealing. Absolutely, with a nine ninety nine monthly uh, subscription, right? And they get those subscriptions by saying you also have access to our budgeting tools, you also have access to our other stuff. 
But what most people really use them for is, you know, what we're talking about, those cash advances. There's one app that actually uh, gives you points, like a game, right? Mm -hmm. Let's go through all those apps coming up in the second half. There's a lot more to it. Wow. Let me get your phone number. Thanks. That's 413-773-3333. And you can go to HugYourMoney.com. There's still a lot to talk about in regard to these cash apps. Stick around for part two of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, right here on WHMP. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high-quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Heller, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, and we're talking about cash apps. Boy, if I'm going to get through all this, i got to get going here, Jess. <laughs> There's a lot of information about it. There's a lot. So we talked about Bridget. That might be if you really want a budgeting tool and you absolutely have to use a cash app, maybe use their free plan. Try to keep your fees down. The next one on my list is Earnin. Uh, it's better for, say, large advances. But, okay. but I'm going to tell you the one hot point I think about each of these. Okay. They have a feature that notifies you if your bank balance gets low. But guess what else they do with that feature? Mm, probably they take money automat- of some sort. They automatically top off your balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now with Earnin, now what, what was 520% roughly with, with um, Bridget. With Earnin, you can cut your fees way down to about 312%. Oh, it's a bargain. Yeah. 100 bucks for seven days with a $2 tip. Again, these places say you can optionally tip and a $3.99 uh, fast fee will equate to 312.3%. APR. Now, it's a good time for me to say that there is a way to get money out of these companies without that fee. And if they don't have a monthly fee, you can actually do it pretty well. But you're going to wait, you know, one day, two days, three days, five days. You know, it's slow right, mm-hmm. compared to that instant thing. I mean, almost nobody uses them to get their money in five days, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you have to remember that stuff. Empower, one of those ones that we see on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. They offer cash advances, budgeting tools, and bank accounts, right? Their advance is a day, uh, which is faster than most of their competitors. And they have an instant delivery fee, you know, if you want the money within an hour. Now, I love all these commercials that show people, like, at the register, they're going to get their money instantly. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of these places take an hour, a few hours. You know, one of them was, like, 20 minutes. One of them was instant. But, you know, you're going to pay for this stuff. Uh, they have an automatic savings feature. Now, again, this is one of those things where they pull you in and they say, we're not just ripping you off. We're going to do all these nice things for you. Mm-hmm. So they have an automatic savings feature that will take an amount checking account and transfer it to your savings account automatically. So, you know, you can do that for free. Just go ask your employer to transfer X number of dollars over there. Right. And they actually use artificial intelligence at this stage, interesting topic there, Mm -hmm. uh, to save money based for you, right, based on your savings and your weekly goals that you set in their system. So they kind of look at your spending habits and then determine an amount or how do they do that? Yeah, supposedly. Okay. That's uh, supposedly how I haven't used it, so I have to say that's how it works. And they will take an optional tip up to $14 per advance. Didn't we do a whole show on tip shaming or what was the tip? We did. Yeah. We did. Tip creep. Tip creep. They're definitely tip tip creeps. Let me say that. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can use it that way if you want. Okay. Let's talk about days. Who doesn't want to talk about days, right? (laughs) 
Dave is that other company that you see on the TV a lot, um, you know, talking about how they can give you money instantly so you can avoid overdrawing or covering your expenses, et cetera. Are they a t- is he a tip creep, too? Well, they, most of them ask for tips, but uh, let me see. Does Dave offer a tip? Yeah, they, they, I think they do a tip up to 25 bucks. actually. Mm. We have to get so, a button. We'll just hit it when it's a tip creep. Instead of the staples button for that's not easy, we go, tip creep. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so to use Dave, uh, you have to open an extra cash account. That's their name for their checking account. Okay. And they also have a savings account. Now, they do something that I, I like called side hustle. They have a little side hustle feature that helps users find jobs to earn money. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yep. So I like that. Now, I want to get the side feature without the cash advance, but, right. but that's, that's what I'm thinking. Now, Dave, one of those gentler ones here, right, 468.8%. Wow. A uh, hundred bucks at seven days, you know, it ends up costing you that amount. The tip. Uh, with tip total, $100 will cost you $8.99 on 100 bucks. Now, on those, see- on those apps that have a, a checking account you can open with them, too, is that FDIC? Is that Are those safe checking accounts? It sounds like a little sketchy. You have to read the fine print on that. They may well be FDIC insured, but mm-hmm. uh, they're not a bank. So now that I double clutch that, they're not a bank usually. So that's a good question. They may not be. FDIC yeah. insurance. That's a really great question. Good for you. Okay. So that's the thing with Dave. Let's go on to Money Lion. Money Lion uh, actually offers what they call credit builder loans. Now, I don't mean to laugh about that because I have said to people over the years, you know, you could get a secured card, build mm-hmm. your credit up a little bit, but you can also ask your local bank, especially if you are a member of a credit union. They often will have a small loan that you can take out just a couple hundred bucks, $500, $200, and repay it and start to build your credit. And there are other ways to build your credit also. But this is actually a mobile bank who offers investment accounts, financial tracking, credit builder loan, uh, and they will do a cash advance up to 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. It's available to anyone with a qualifying checking account. Not quite sure what that, <laughs> what you have to do to qualify there. Yeah. But money, uh, money line customers actually have access to larger cash advances up to $1,000 and faster funding times. And now, again, are these checking credit or they're not checking credit? Not checking credit. Hmm. Not checking credit. So Money Lion will cost you 520.9% if we're using our ATR model. Okay, solo funds. Solo, you hear about solo funds. Now, this is an interesting model. It's still expensive, but it's an interesting model. Okay. It's a peer-to-peer cash advance system. So... You put in a loan request, and other people in the marketplace decide if they want to lend money to you. (laughs) It sounds like Survivor. What's happening? (laughs) Well, it's kind of interesting. So the app has reasonably low fees, and uh, they're mostly optional, and they let the 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 users uh, choose their repayment dates. Huh. However, I mean, it is a kindler, gentler, if I have to say that about it, cash app. Uh, But however, it can take up to three days to know whether your requested loan will be funded or not. And how much do you get charged for that? Let's see. Solo, solo, solo. (laughs) Solo will be 146%. Oh, well, that's not bad. That's not bad, relatively (laughs) speaking. And it'll give you 25 days, right? Mm -hmm. So, So if you have to use one of these for this kind of an emergency thing, that might be worthwhile. It doesn't have a monthly fee at all. Uh, you have to wait three days. It's kind of like buying a gun, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need an emergency cash advance, you're going to have to wait three days for it. 
Um, and at least that one gives you a little bit more time to pay it back. It does give you a little bit more time to pay it back. You just have to realize you're paying back 146%. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's if, um, let's say you took out $250 for 25 days and you paid a 5% tip and a 5% donation. 5% that would equate tip. to 146% according to NerdWallet. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Clover. Oh, my goodness. Clover is the one that I said makes a game of this. And they also share your information, and that's how they make money. Clover with a K. So there's, okay. they have a no-fee advance, but the way they make up for that, first of all, they, they offer only a $100 advance based on the bank account eligibility. Okay. And another $100 if you, uh, get, if you participate in their points program. Okay. So that points program, I tell you, they make a game of it. They put an app in the hands of a young person, and bingo, they got 500% interest or whatever, right? Well, and it seems like all these apps, too, there's always either like an additional fee or you have to join something. Yes. Yeah. In this case, they require you to upload your receipts to take quizzes and to watch videos oh, in exchange man. for points. Yeah. Those points translate to dollars, and then you can get a cash advance you can use that extra $100 to get the cash advance or cover the fees. Mm-hmm. But Clover makes money by collecting that aggregate user data and sharing insights with its partners. Now, that doesn't mean they just take your data and give it to somebody. But if you're concerned about data privacy, this isn't your cash advance app. Yeah. And, and Clover, just so that we're keeping everybody abreast here, 494.8% if you borrowed $100 for seven days and paid an $8.49 fee with a dollar tip. I mean, there it definitely should be regulations with this stuff. That just seems like it should be illegal. Well, it isn't yet. Yeah. So here's the last one, and then we'll use the rest of our time to talk about what else you can do. Chime. Here's another one that I kept hearing ads for, and they all say the same kind of thing. No interest, no this, no that. Well, where are they making their money? Mm-hmm. So Chime is better for overdraft protection than most of the other apps. Uh, it's a mobile company checking and savings accounts with a credit builder loan. But it lets customers overdraw their account by a small predetermined amount without a fee. They okay. have a feature called Spot Me, and that Spot Me is overdraft protection uh, more than a cash advance. But it still asks you if you want to tip them. Oh, still, this tipping yeah. thing, man. And so it's only up to your approved amount, and anything that you spend over that approved overdraft limit is going to be declined. Mm-hmm. You need at least $200 in a qualifying, in, excuse me, in qualifying direct deposits to your Chime account every month to qualify for SpotMe. So if you can put your paycheck in there every month or some other deposit that's $200 every month, that's how you qualify for Chime. Mm-hmm. Still, after all of that, uh, Chime, their SpotMe thing for overdraft, if you borrowed $50 for them to avoid overdraft, mm-hmm and you repaid it in seven days, and you gave them a dollar tip, it's still 104.3% APR. So why aren't these things regulated and uh, shown as an APR? Well, I think the question is, the answer is pretty simple. Who the heck would do it Mm -hmm. if they knew it was 500% APR or even 100% APR? You'd find another way to do it. What could you do? All right. There are other things you can do. The first thing you can do is you can... Think about a small personal loan, especially at a credit union, but also at your local bank. They often offer loans up to $1,000 with APRs. I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. Below 36%. Mm-hmm. Which okay, is still astronomical, but it's way better than these these apps. Relatively speaking, absolutely. And online lenders sometimes tailor these loans to bad credit borrowers. So 
the reason we're talking about these cash advance app percentage rates is because I, I know I complain about these, you know, bad credit loans with high interest rates, but you, if you're really in a pickle like that, you really got to balance these off. You need to know what's going on with those cash apps. Mm-hmm. Credit unions, you know, I love credit unions for stuff like this. They often have a small personal loan, 18% or lower. They'll help you rebuild your credit with it, usually $5, $500 or so, without a bunch of fees and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. They will review your credit score, but if you belong to a credit union, they consider that you're a member in approving that loan. And small loans like that often get approved, even if with dinged-up credit. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's a good payday loan alternative. And, you know, the best place to solve this problem, if you can do it, ask a friend or a family. I, I was, mean, I was it, just going to say your parents. I should say, the first most logical option is earn more money, right? Mm-hmm. Take a little side job to fund an emergency or maybe something that you keep long-term. But, you know, that's an obvious one. Some of the buy now, pay later things are seen as solutions, like for payments on something. It always worries me a little bit because you are still, you know, committing your pre-earned dollars to something in the future. And so that worries me. But yeah, just, I hate to say swallow your pride, but just remember that everybody's been through this. You know, whoever you're going to ask for money at some point probably was in your shoes. Mm-hmm. And if you tell them, hey, I'm about to do this, and it looks like it's this, but I heard the money doctor on the radio say it's 100% interest on the good ones, right? They'll say, geez, you know, I would help you. And you can say, but I insist on paying you interest. I will pay you 8%. I will pay you 10%. Mm-hmm. You're still we'll making out draft, better. Yeah, we'll draft up a contract, and I'll put it in the Hug Your Money program or whatever you're going to do to pay it back, and you will get your payments. And I will not burn you. You're my family. You're my friend. I will not burn you. Ooh, well, there's a lot of information, definitely. If people want to be able to talk one-on-one about these apps or really anything else financial, what is your phone number? Absolutely. They can reach us at 413-773-3333. All right. As always, we'll be back again next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rand. Thanks so much. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. Every Saturday morning. <laughs> he used to sit at the table till like lunchtime. <laughs> I'm Kevin. I'm Shannon. What would make someone come in and tell their story on the air for no money? Because it works. Because it really the, works. The, the program works. So what's Saturday morning like now? Oh, it's so much better. Easy. <laughs> It's coffee time, and we just get up and we are lazy and we hang out together. There was no more Saturday mornings with a pot of coffee and all the bills stacked up. And <laughs> Literally, we have zero stress about our finances now. Can't say enough about it. Debt, budget, retirement. 
Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Hello. Hello, Jess. How are you these days? I am good. We had so much more to talk about after we finished last week's show about millennials buying houses because it's just a big, big topic, it seems. Well, I have to say, anybody buying a house is a big topic. This is a huge decision in life, and I think we can all agree it's not as easy as it used to be, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was standing on a hill yesterday doing a little landscape work and things, and a realtor walked up, introduced himself, and wanted to know, you know, see, there's a house going out for sale up the road. Do you know anybody who wants that house? And it's really, it's become a different game. I mean, it used to be just a short time ago, you listed a house and there was a bidding war over it and people were paying more than the houses were worth. Mm -hmm. There was enough cash in the marketplace to do it. And that has a lot to do with people who have already created some wealth in real estate, let's call us baby boomers or, you know, even the generation behind us, who have been able to sell a home that had a lot of equity in it, grab that equity and use it as a down payment on your next house mm-hmm. or scale up or, or do, you know, a number of things with it, not to mention what's gone on in the investment world. But that is not the same story for millennials, right? Millennials have not done that yet, many of them. Now, in fairness, last year we cracked the 50% mark of people who were in the millennial generation, age 27 to 42, who had been able to buy their own home. Now, I take exception to the articles that say own their own home because, as we know, most people have a pretty big mortgage for a long time. Right. So, you know, we were up to 51, I think, percent of people who were millennials owning their own home as of 2022. 51%? Yeah, 51%. And that was good. That's the highest we've been so far. I was going to say, that sounds kind of high. Well, I mean, if you compare that to other generations, Mm -hmm. baby boomers, for instance, I don't know the exact number, but I'm sure it's way higher than 50% that own their own homes because they've had a chance to build some wealth in the real estate market when houses were a little more fairly priced and the amount that you paid for your house in relation to the amount of income you earned on an annual basis, for instance, was closer together, right? You might have paid in the 1980s uh, $80,000 for your house, but you earned, say, $30,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. So your down payment of 20%, if you did that at $16,000, you know, was about half your salary for one year. Now your down payment might be two years' salary. Yeah, right? we were we were talking about that last week, about how that just seems overwhelming. Like, that seems like probably the biggest hurdle to get into a house is how do you save that much money and still pay your current bills? Well, you know, this is a fast-moving market. And last week, I would have said that's your major problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but today, we have more to add, of course. So that is a problem, a real problem for millennials, as well as other people. But just focusing on millennials for a moment, you know, they're not making as much money in relation to their house payments. Many of them are trapped in apartments at, you know, three grand, 3500 a month, 2500 a month. And they're saying, wait a minute, uh, my parents told me the rule was don't pay money in rent. You're throwing it out the window, buy a house and build equity. So I can afford a $2,500 mortgage or a $3,500 mortgage. I'm making that rent payment every month. Mm -hmm. And they go to the bank and the bank says, 
No, you can't. I know you're paying your rent, but we're talking about a 30-year stretch in front of us, and we're not going to look at it the same way your landlord did. We're going to say, gee, for instance, you have all these student loans out there. Mm-hmm. And the conversation might sound something like this. Jeff, you have all these student loans out there. And you say, but they're in the forgiveness program. Or I'm not paying those. They're deferred. Mm-hmm. Or they're income-based repayment. I can afford those payments. And the bank says, no, we are going to count, because this is our policy, 10% of your loans per year as a payment. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do our numbers to qualify you for a mortgage. And not every bank does it this way, but most are doing it this way these days. We're going to qualify you for a mortgage based on how much income you have, less your debt, and we're going to include 10% of your student loans as a payment. And that's going to change the number that you might get approved for for a loan. Okay, that's a beginning issue, right? Okay, so maybe you get approved for less house. Now, as I said, this market shifts quickly and anybody who's paid attention to the news or who has a relative in Maui or who has somebody in Deerfield, Mass, knows, all right, we've had fires, we've had floods. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of pressure on insurance companies right now. Yeah, there's now, a lot going on. Yeah. So that's what we call the property and casualty world. And we are in the casualty part of that for insurance. And what do insurance companies not like to do? Yeah, they don't want to lose money and they don't like to take on risk. I mean, insurance is exactly that. You are paying a premium to shift the risk from yourself Mm -hmm. to an insurance company. That's what insurance is. You shift risk. If you're buying a life insurance policy, you're shifting the risk. You want the insurance company to pay if you die rather than you having to pay out your own assets. If you have a homeowner's policy, you're shifting the risk. I'll pay X number of dollars per year in case my house burns down or in case I have a a catastrophic claim. And then the insurance company is supposed to pay. Mm -hmm. When we have, I know these two things don't sound connected, folks, but I I was was just going to say to you, I wouldn't think, you know, the fires in Maui or, or these big events going on would have anything to do with whether I could get a mortgage or not. No, you would not. But I'm not off on walkabout here. I'm, I'm kind of telling you ahead of the curve because you probably haven't heard this in the news yet, and you may not. They may find solutions. Okay. But here's the thing I see coming in addition to these other problems. What I see coming is a lot of insurance companies having huge claims uh, quickly, multiple claims, mm-hmm. all those houses in Maui, stuff going on in Florida, wildfires in the West, floods in Massachusetts, right? Mm-hmm. So. They're going to be bombarded with these claims. Now, insurance companies, big, fat, and happy financial insurance companies, much as they have actuaries who manage this risk, don't really like, I was going to say they don't really plan, but they do, but they don't really like to pay out on these sort of catastrophic multiple claims. Mm-hmm. In order to protect themselves, which is what we want them to do, believe it or not, we want insurance companies to protect themselves because we need them in the game. Right. We pay our premiums. We want them alive and well to pay out our investment dollars and our claim dollars when we want them. So they're pretty wise about this stuff, but it may come home to roost in the housing market. So what they're going to do, my my little crystal ball here, Jeff, you know, mm-hmm. what, they, what they may do, let's say is they may pull back and say, wait, we've got enough risk. We can only tolerate what we've got right now. And some companies may even fold, right? We've seen that happen. I'll pick on Florida for a moment. We've seen it happen in Florida a number of times. You know, people have coverage on their homes. There's a major hurricane. The losses are so big that the companies that insure them fold, and the government is scrambling to figure out how claims are going to get paid on these places and whether they will be reinsurable or not, Mm -hmm. whether these people will be able to get insured against or whatever was backing them up has to come into play. 
So if you're an insurance company, just think about this for a second from the insurance company standpoint. If you're an insurance company and you've just had to pay out a lot of claims mm-hmm. and you want to pull back on risk, what are you going to do? You're either going to fold, let the cards fall where they may, but if you stay in business, which most of them will do, mm-hmm. then you have to say to yourself, i got to stop taking on risk. And that means I'm maybe not going to let my agents sell insurance right now. I'm going to tell my property and casualty agents that work for my company, I'm sorry, but we're not taking any new homeowner's insurance policies right now. Okay, so when you're getting approved for a mortgage, do they work hand-in-hand with the homeowner's insurance and you can't get approved if you don't have the insurance with it? Well, yeah, sort of. Okay. So here's the thing is that homeowner's insurance is designed to pay if your house has a major problem. Right. I thought you got that separate from the bank. Like, like I have renter's insurance. So for a bank, when you're getting a mortgage, you have to have both in order for the mortgage to be approved. Well, there's a little, a little difference here. Now, sometimes the banks do say that they say, look, we're not going to close your most of the time. We're not going to close on this loan until you have insurance on this house. Okay. They're on the hook. You think it's your house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You think it's your problem when you have a claim, but if the claim is large enough, let's say the house burns down Mm -hmm. completely. Right. If it's a smaller claim, they're going to your insurance company is going to pay you to repair the house. But you might know someone this has happened to. They have a thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar claim. It's not enough to, if it were a car, we'd say total it. Right. Right. It's right. Not right. Your house. But if you have a mortgage on that, the lender is going to want to make sure those repairs were done. They don't want to see you get thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars in your hand and spend it at the racetrack and say my house was repaired. They have a vested interest in this house. You still owe them money. Right. So, so they want to make sure that the house is worth what is still owed just in case it gets foreclosed on or something else happens, right? Yeah. So let's take this case where, you know, your house burns to the ground. Mm-hmm. All right. You own the land, but the land isn't insured. The property on it, the building was insured. Mm-hmm. So there you are standing on your empty lot, you know, wondering how are you going to rebuild? And the lender comes knocking. Hey, where's the insurance money for this? That's why when you have a mortgage and you lose your homeowner policy, now you ask, do they work hand in hand? Here's when you'll notice they work hand in hand. You have a mortgage and your homeowner's insurance gets canceled, your lender is going to be on the hook right away. They're going to be calling you saying, you got to get homeowner's insurance on this property. Mm-hmm. And in the cases where you don't, the bank will actually pay for your homeowner's policy. This is not a good thing, by the way. You will still owe them. <laughs> okay. But they will pick up the homeowner's insurance premium to protect their interest in the house to keep coverage on it. They will charge you for it, plus all the fees and the interest and all that sort of stuff you normally get charged for. Mm-hmm. But they will do it to protect their own interest. But if the insurance now, company kind of slows down on offering insurance because of all these big things happening, then the banks are going to approve less mortgages. Is that kind of right? Well, it, yeah. I mean, it's a long story to say, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I try to bring to light things that might be coming down the pike so right. people can pay attention. I mean, if they're trying to buy a home right now and they can get the insurance and the home goes through, you know, this might be a time where you say, yeah, I'm going to lock that in while I can. Because if the insurance companies, and believe me, I never come to the airways with anything that is meant to panic anybody. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But here's something that we're not hearing about yet, and it might be cooking out there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. insurance companies, they can only handle so much risk. 
So you need to be looking at this as a possibility. Ask your insurance agent, hey, am I going to be able to get homeowner's insurance on this? I'm scheduled to close in a month, you know, and see what they have to say about it. I'm not a property and casualty agent, so I I will defer back to somebody who's an expert in that area. But it's just a... It's a little something that might be brewing out there. All right. That's a good tip. Let's get your phone number before we get into part two of the show here. Sure. It's 413-773-3333. Or you can visit HugYourMoney.com. We will be back with much more with The Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up on part two of Financial Fitness right here on WHMP. about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. Hi, I'm Cheryl. Robin. We do like to travel. Francis assured us that we prepared some room for vacation. End of this month, we're actually going to drive down to see my brother in uh, South Carolina. It's been years. It's been many, many years, and the timing's good, and we feel like, again, we have the financial latitude to be able to do that, spend a few nights in hotels on the way, spend some time with him, and then come back and then visit my uh, homeland, if you will, uh, in central Virginia, where I grew up. (laughs) Um, And uh, I look forward to that. And I can do it comfortably. We've already looked at it. Yeah. And it's really wonderful. It's great to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Hug your money. Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug your money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum, and we're talking mortgages. <laughs> yes, we are talking mortgages and home buying and mm-hmm. how much more difficult it is today to get a home. You know, if everything aligns properly, it's difficult. But when you add to the mix things like the rising cost of housing and the inflationary rate, fact that people just aren't getting increases in their salary as much as they used to be, boy, it gets really complicated. I mean, you know, we have people living with their parents longer than they'd like to. Uh, We have people trying to scramble to get out of their student loans in any way that they can qualify. So in many cases, that means that people are working for lower income Mm -hmm. uh, because they want to qualify for student loan forgiveness. And so not that Not that those two always correlate, but you may be working for, let's say, a a nonprofit organization or a public school when perhaps going out into the private sector with your skills might yield a much higher income, but you kind of feel boxed in for a 10-year period to try to get your student loans forgiven. Mm -hmm. That's great for your student loans, but it's bad for your income. And what do banks qualify you based on? Your income and expenses, right? A debt-to-income ratio. 
I also think it's harder to to save or it seems harder to save because we were talking in the first half about how much rents are right now. And I had always heard you're supposed to pay about 25% of your income on rent, not more than that. And a lot of the people that I talk to with the prices right now, probably about half of their income is going to rent. So then how are you saving up 60, 70, $80,000 for a down payment? Well, you're right on all of those points. First of all, you know, I I always detest that box we're supposed to live in, save six months of your income for emergencies and pay no more than this for your rent. They're nice guidelines, but they're not something to live by. Mm -hmm. And you can say all you want, don't pay more than this for rent. But as you've pointed out, that might not be possible. Yeah, it's not realistic a a lot of times. No, and if you look at the market in the big picture, you can see why it's not possible. Mm -hmm. Somebody buying a rental income property in today's market has had to pay a lot more for it, and so their rents are going to be higher. The people who own rental income properties who have already paid them off are going to raise their rents to make as much money as they can, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because everybody else is charging that. So now they're actually offering a competitive rent, but it's all going in their pocket. So we see that bell curve of income tip again when we look at millennials, right? Millennials aren't doing that. Baby boomers are doing that mostly. Mm -hmm. Again, painting with a broad brush here. But yeah, so, so it is harder to do this. And then when you add inflation and the cost of living today, it gets harder and harder. And I don't have to go into a history lesson about this, but there was a time not all that long ago, although it may seem so to most of us, when one income paid the mortgage and all the bills and the other person either, you know, stayed at home to raise kids or made an ancillary income or mm-hmm. nothing. They just hung around, right? So, you know, and did supported their spouse. And that's, you know, banks used to qualify a mortgage that way. There was a time when even if you earned two incomes, the banks would only take the higher of the two and qualify the mortgage. You'll see a lot of people will say, I'm on the deed, but I'm not on the mortgage mm-hmm. because they wanted to own the house equally, but the bank didn't require them on the mortgage. They were only going to use one income to qualify. It didn't take very long with the rising cost of everything for banks to have to start becoming more pliable for the economy to move into a place where the banks needed both incomes to qualify. Mm -hmm. But now most people cannot, simply cannot own a home based on one income. Well, especially with with how high prices are right now for a house. Yeah, for sure. But what's next, Jess? I mean, we put the kids to work and we have their incomes because some of that is happening. (laughs) Can we do that? Sounds ridiculous, but (laughs) it's happening. I mean, I have clients who have their adult children back from college living at home and, you know, they're struggling financially and they end up, even though they don't want to ask the kid, they end up saying to their child, you know what, I'm going to teach you by example. You're going to need to pay us some rent. And it's only going to be a few hundred dollars a month. But you know what? They're not just trying to teach the child by example. They're trying to make ends meet for themselves because just groceries, just the cost of groceries. When you have one, two, three kids at home, forget it. It's enormous, right? Yeah. And then, of course, this whole past year, we had those electric rates spiking. So that was Uh, a lot, too. One thing we talked about last week off air, you and I, that I wanted to talk to you about was we're talking about these big town payments and how you possibly save for them. But there are other loans available, like an FHA or first time homebuyers. Do you always recommend if you can to put a lower down payment or is that not always the smartest thing to do? So that really is case specific. But you bring up an excellent point. Uh, I think last week I kind of beat up on things a little bit saying, you know, so now we have these 3% down or 5% down or 0% down mortgages. Isn't that wonderful? You get gets people into a home, mm-hmm. but it gets to a home with a higher payment, right? Because you're not putting anything down. Right. But, but your question is a, a really good one, Jess, because 
for one thing, I think FHA loans are great. If you can qualify for an FHA loan, that's great. But there is a limit of how much house they'll let you buy in terms of dollars. And, you know, same thing with VA loans. If you were a veteran, if you served in the armed forces, you know, look at a VA loan. The rates are usually much better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room there. So when I said it's on a case-by-case basis, I think for someone who has plenty of capital, who can afford to make a higher down payment on a house, then you have to start looking at, okay, is this money better working for me in the market or even in a fixed account somewhere, right, Mm -hmm. or indexed annuity, or is it better as a down payment in my house? And so all of these numbers can change within Hug Your Money. I always talk about this, that everything is decided a little bit differently inside Hug Your Money than it is outside Hug Your Money because of the speed in which we pay off those mortgages. So instead of looking at something for 30 years, you might be looking at it for 8 or 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that might change the way you decide about your down payment, for instance. So if you have a lot of capital and mortgage rates are high and you're not earning much in the market, you might say, you know what, I'm better off putting this on my mortgage. Or if it means that your mortgage payment is going to be an easy fit for you and you're not going to struggle so much, that might be the case. But in order to see it, take how much money you're putting down and how much that's saving you monthly mm-hmm. and divide divide that, right? And find how many months it will take you to break even. So for instance, if you're putting down $10,000 and you're saving yourself uh, $100 a month, mm-hmm. it's going to take 100 months to break even on that. So you have to figure, is that worth it to you? Is it worth taking 100 months to break even or not? So, So that's one way to look at it. Now, another way to look at it is Let's say you don't have much money to put down. Or let's say you finally build up an emergency nest egg of, I don't know, let's call it $20,000. Okay. And you're thinking about putting 16000 down on your house, to use our early example. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be cutting it too close. You need to remember that you're in what I call a period of transition. Yes, you're excited about buying a new house, but what follows that? Let's get some furniture. Right. <laughs> Those oil bills. Gee, we really found a repair that that needs to be done or an improvement that we want to make. And so if you cut your cash reserves too close, that stuff, mark my words, will end up on a credit card somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we're looking for. So when I say this is on a case-by-case basis, I, I really mean that. The best favor you can do for yourself and your family when you're thinking about how much money am I going to put down on this house is not to talk to the banker about it, bankers aren't evil or anything. I'm just saying that their job is just, you know, get this loan through, right? They're they're not a financial advisor. It's not their job. And, you know, your accountant may say, well, you know, you're going to get tax right off on this and not on another thing. You need to find a financial planner of some sort. I use that term very loosely, but you need to find some sort of coach, financial coach I will use, uh, to be able to help you balance out what the best decision might be. And it should include conversation like that. It should be not just how much money do you want to put down and what does the math look like. Mm-hmm. It should should be things like, are you cutting yourself too close here? What about these repairs you want to make? Are you going to end up then having to have a second mortgage on the house? And, it, and will it even support that? Can you get a second mortgage if you need it in the future? Well, this ties and, right into a question that we got um, from Kim from okay. Northampton who said, should I use all my savings to pay off my credit cards before applying for a mortgage or am I better off putting that money as a down payment but still having those higher credit card balances? Okay, well, this is where I am going to send him back to a banker. Okay. Before so making a knee-jerk decision like this, like I want to make sure I can get approved for a mortgage so I'm going to do X. 
I would advise that you do it backwards. You go to the bank Mm -hmm. and you say, hypothetically, okay, hypothetically, because they can't tell you unequivocally at that stage. But hypothetically, if I wanted to be approved for a mortgage and I had these kinds of numbers, this much in credit card debt, here's my income, here's my other stuff, and I have this much in cash, how could I manipulate these numbers uh, let's say, improve these numbers. <laughs> How could I improve my chances yeah. for approval for a loan? And let the banker who does this every day, mm-hmm. let that loan officer teach you something about what they need in order for you to be approved. They might say, you know what, we could tolerate $10,000 of your credit card debt, but not twenty or something like that. But they might say, this is what I would do if I were in your shoes. Now, okay. Where you see this play out is when somebody has already applied for a loan and the lender says there's enough equity in the house to do this and we will not approve this loan unless you pay down this much debt, but we'll put it in your mortgage for you, right? That's when you start to see that come home to roost. So I always say this, before you try to get yourself in a perfect position before you go to the bank so the Uh bank will approve it, instead ask the bank what they want first and then try and try and provide that. Okay. Rewind for a minute on that. You said then they might include it in your mortgage for you. What they could roll your credit card debt into your mortgage? Yeah. Again, not my favorite solution for it. <laughs> okay. This is where somebody is, you know, getting close to closing. Now their hopes are up. They're ready to buy this house. And the application goes up, you know, up the line to the high person who's finally going to approve it. And they look at it and they say, gee, our bank would feel better about this if they had less credit card debt. But because, you know, we have some room to move in this mortgage, in other words, the house is worth far more than we're borrowing on it, mm-hmm. uh, just tell them we'll roll it into the mortgage and we'll finish the loan. Oh, okay. And then the people feel like, oh, my credit cards are paid off and I got my mortgage. But you need to pay attention to that because what you're doing is putting your credit card debt on your house. And if it was just credit card debt, if in the future you ran into financial trouble, like, for instance, uh, bankruptcy, the credit card debt would be wiped out. Once you put it in that mortgage, that's not going to happen. Okay. As usual, we're almost out of time, but I want to see if I could squeeze in one more question um, oh. in, in regard to mortgages and houses. Lisa from East Hampton says, I just sold my house. What can I do to not get taxed ridiculously on the small profit I made besides investing in something else? She doesn't want to have to do that. She doesn't want to buy another home. Right. Mean. Yeah. She, but oh. she doesn't want to get, she doesn't want to get, whatever that tax is on it. I mean, I know that this is not a short question that I tried to squeeze in. No, hey, I, I, I'm going to kick her to an accountant for this one because tax laws change all the time and I'm not an accountant. Uh, this quick answer would have been buy another house and, you know, it's her primary residence. But she may actually be eligible for uh, a tax break on that because it's her primary residence, uh, even if she doesn't buy another home, which I, I believe is probably the case. So uh, she should check with her accountant on that. Okay. Any final advice for new home buyers? Hmm. Yes. Final advice for new home buyers. Um, don't buy too much house. Mm-hmm. I, I know you want the biggest, best, most shiniest, greatest house. We all do. But you have to remember, it can end up owning you. Mm. And so if it's feeling like a real stretch, if you're if you're having conversations like, I think we can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if we do this and we do that. If right. we Cut then, back in all these other areas. 
yeah, then it'll be okay. Then I want you to step back and say, look, maybe it's time for plan A and plan B. Maybe we're going to buy less house right now and plan for five years in the future to get out of that house and buy another one. Right. It might not be your forever home. Right. That's right. All right. Let's get your phone number. It's 413-773-3333. Okay. Again, I want to remind people, too, if you send in a question at info at HugYourMoney.com or to Tyler at WHMP.com and we use your question on the show, you could get a free copy of The Money Doctor's book. Debt or Alive. All right. And also visit HugYourMoney.com. We will be back. We'll do this again next week. I hope so. Another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up next week right here on WHMP. See you then. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the money doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. Uh, It got to me mentally a little bit. I'm supposed to be able to handle finances. And I can, but this is so much better. So much less stressful. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. We used to argue. We would fight about, not fight, we would discuss it. And then I would eventually get up and leave and he would stay (laughs) home and do more bills. Because he gets so stressed about money. It used to kill me to see how stressed out he would get. I'm Shannon. I'm Kevin. When it comes to finances, we want to be on top of everything. Honestly, it saved lots of arguments. Like, literally, we have zero stress about our finances now. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented.